Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. My name is Rebbi Banji. I'm a trauma expert and a therapist having worked with trauma all over the world. I am so excited for another episode of our podcast, Chasing Noor, where we talk about the light inside us, around us, and from the ancestors who came before us. The special guest that I have for this, for this specific episode that is so, so, so needed within our Ummah, especially in these trying times right now, is Ustada Lubna. So Ustada, thank you for so much for joining me on the show today. Pleasure. Assalamualaikum. So Ustada Lubna is someone who we all adore and feel so inspired from. So I'm so excited to have her part of this continued conversation. And what inspired this was that I was talking to her about some concerns that I was seeing within my DMs with all these different people that were reaching out to me and this um, struggling to name it, struggling to name the feelings behind it, the shame to name it, the shame to even acknowledge it and everything when we are struggling with our faith and what that looks like. And I'm still trying to figure out the language as to how I want to describe what it is. And perhaps it's like a level of um, Iman privilege. It's privilege that having the ability to not feel like you are struggling within your faith or not have that fear and that worry that perhaps you will fail at Ramadan or there'll be extra challenges for you that you feel like you will be struggling with even more during Ramadan, whatever Ramadan ultimately looks like for you. So um, it's it's so interesting. So how do you feel, Usada, that you have seen it kind of showing up with members of the community around you, with people who reached out to you? That's a good question. Um... <laughs> Just in terms of, you know, people using their faith to cope, I think that's one of the main tools, to be honest. <laughs> that there's got to be something in store for us. There has to be a reason that Allah SWT wants us to, you know, endure this, this time, this, this period of time. And, and, you know, some people are getting tested more than others in terms of what they're losing or what's at stake. But I think, I think even those that are quite comfortable but they've lost something in terms of their schooling or in terms of their work uh, as socially, uh, it's taking a toll and you can't help those lows that you feel, but it's the long-term, you know, vision, as they say, <laughs> the long-term goal towards Allah SWT that I think helps them pull through. And I remember when we were like planning what this would look like and everything like that. And I was struggling with the title, whether it's a man privilege, trying to put name on the feeling of shame and anxiety and fear that seems to be showing up. And um, still don't know whether I'm going to call it that title or not. We'll see. Um, but like, it was very interesting for me because Alhamdulillah that I have safe people. Like I have amazing leaders and teachers around me like you and everyone else out in Los Angeles as well as out here in the Bay Area that I can go to for questions. I can go to and share some vulnerable hard moments that I've had either with my clients or even me within my own journey within Islam with you all. And I have that safety. And I think it's because I've had consistent safe connections with leaders and teachers that I'm able to see that. But what about all those other individuals that have either been pushed out of an Islamic space, pushed out of Islam, whatever that looks like, and they haven't had somebody safe. They haven't had somebody safe around them. And now they're in this state of lockdown. They're in this state of shutdown where they are feeling like, you know, experiences of being trapped, of being stuck, of being frustrated and everything like that. And even even converts, even converts that maybe they had to move back in with their non-Muslim family and what that looks like. And, you know, in terms of conversion, sometimes you do get, you know, excommunicated from your family and, you know, they do judge you, they do question you or they do shame you for that. So now you're moving back in with your family. You don't have the safe space of the Islamic organization. You don't have the, the convert welcoming, you know, support. You don't have that with, even with your MSA. 
and now they, they being your family, your friends or whatever are quizzing you on your faith. They're seeing you pray and they're questioning it and everything. And when you're a convert, things are hard. Things are hard. And you're constantly going through this journey to kind of just catch up is what it feels like often. And it's a lot and it's hard. So it in itself is hard. The journey as a convert, whatever, whatever point you are at that point, then the layers of financial, economic, social, um, spiritual, everything else that's kind of layered on to, onto it and eat survival, survival, and then all this trauma all over social media. So what would you say with all those layers that I just shared? So that, that's a really difficult situation to be in. And, and I'm reminded by the advice that one of my teachers uh, just gave me recently. And that is sometimes when people are suffering and struggling, that the best thing we can offer, anybody can offer as um, a measure of support is really that acknowledgement that they are in a difficult situation and, and the empathy, the empathetic response and listening. Um, that is difficult to be living in a household and people are questioning you. And now you don't have the freedom and the mobility, right? To go to work and go to school to be away from your loved ones that are questioning you. And, and so that is really hard. And I, I really would just kind of offer that support that keep going. I would remind um, other people in the community that if you have a friend that you know is, is in a tough situation, please reach out to them and be their support. Um, and I know it's not, it's not easy uh, when you're a revert to say, well, why don't you reach out to somebody and get the support, right? That's not a really fair yeah. onus to put on somebody because they don't know necessarily enough people. Uh, and that's, that's such an interesting concept because, you know, when I was talking about long-term, I think that just kind of helps in preventing us from freaking out, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's interesting to, to me, it's like a two-pronged approach. You yeah. know, what's, what's the end you know, you know, our goal, and that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and we, we know that death is decreed for all of us. And that sounds kind of like a very straight, kind of a harsh thing to say, but that is the reality. So if you know that, you already know that death is going to come, either due to this period of time of, of COVID or because of something else. We don't know when that's going to happen. So then it starts pushing you back into the direction of, do I really want to be waiting for something in the future of, oh, let me wait until this lockdown is lifted. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. So I might as well, since I'm stuck here, I might as well try to find ways to enjoy today. And I do think that that's very helpful. You know, even finding meaningful things every day, um, you know, whether it be sharing a meal with somebody virtually or, you know, uh, or physically or going for a walk or, or, or you know, yeah, engaging in the hobby that you like or, or taking up a new hobby. There has to be something that we enjoy every day. And I think um, to, to help keep us sane, to be honest, emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate just that, that phrasing of finding joy. So finding joy in some way throughout your day and, and the intentionality behind that and whether that means making something good or going on a walk or shifting in a different direction of something else. It's not the productivity of learning something new within a day or completing a task within a day, but it's just the intention of, of finding joy. And that's so beautiful. And it's so interesting because like in terms of thinking about it from the lens of, you know, a crisis worker and, and how I'm, I'm used to these states of, of chaos and everything and, and how predictable they can be. And then, so it seemed like the way it was in the beginning, it was, you know, a mistrust. It's like, do we trust the government? Is this real? Is this made up? And then it shifted over to like, oh my gosh, this is real. And this is scary. And this is terrifying. And we need to grab as many resources as we can. Survival mode. Movies ended up being 
being more of a form of research to determine survival techniques versus it being entertainment. So there was a lot of things that shifted. And so for me, like it was the moment that hit me was um, a couple of, I believe it was about two weeks ago, there was a brother out in Los Angeles and he got deported. He got, he got, he got detained by ICE. And I believe he's in the process of deportation right now. And he had gone so early in the morning to go to the local market to be able to purchase materials, toilet paper and everything for his family because of this frenzy that was showing up. And so he went in the morning and he was a sole provider. And when they were in the process of arresting him, he was in tears saying, I'm the sole provider. Um, I don't know how they're going to survive. Like, I need to be there for them. Please, please, please don't take me. And it just, it hit me so, 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 so hard when I was seeing it all over social media. And it just, it didn't matter. Like, we were in a state where it was so much fear, so much, so much fear that like the apocalypse is around the corner and this brother was being detained, was, you know, in the process of being deported. And, and, it didn't matter that his family wasn't able to survive. And you're not even safe going into a grocery store. And so many of my undocumented clients, they're terrified. They're scared of checking to see if they have symptomologies. They're scared to go into an emergency room. They're scared about what that looks like because of this fear that's still showing up. And it just, it, it, it broke me in such a completely different direction. And just, even just speaking of social media, like, social media, it, there's moments where it gives me anxiety. There's moments that it gives me um, a recharge, one or the other. And what we're seeing right now is that all these amazing leaders are posting and sharing all this really great stuff out there. And it's free access. It's free, easy access to such great sacred knowledge. And what a blessing that is and everything. And there was... Um, there was a um, there was an event over at the Majlis a few nights ago, and they ended with the zikr. And when they ended with the zikr, I was having a very 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 hard day with so many different clients and just holding on a lot of that vicarious trauma. And I was surprised how I was just flooded with tears. Like I just the tears just were coming down so strong, and it was so interesting to me because I wonder like I think like you know was it the universe was it the timing whatever that looked like, but would I feel safe to have those tears come? With such with such depth with such vulnerability if i was sitting within you know an islamic space whatever it is that that looks like and i wonder and i think like that lack of barrier the um that is just me and alice from and and having this having this connection is so so beautiful and so kind of speaking more about ramadan like this is a lot this is this is the first ever this is a whole new experience and everything and i feel like a lot of people are kind of worried about it and having a lot of different apprehensions and everything and i kind of love it i love the fact that i don't have to worry about what i'm wearing about what different kinds of headscarves i'm buying or um the abayas the rotating outfits and all of that and i think for a lot of young teens as well like trying to catch up and keep up with other teenagers and having to spend so much money on like iftars, going out for iftars and connecting with people and doing all these community things and it costs money and, and it's a lot. And I think there's things that get missed when we're going through different motions and um, what connection looks like and, and how connection shifts. So how have you kind of experienced people discussing that with you? I do think it's a wonderful opportunity that we have access to these scholars to these programs and a lot more programming is available and I know that um, organizations are cognizant of the fact that people are still missing the social aspect and it may be giving more people to have that social aspect but like you said not in a commercialized way there's not so much pressure 
right? It's in the safety of your own space. So I, there's definitely a lot of things to gain and, and hopefully we can take advantage of that. Yeah. And then it's also just like, you know, like what does Ramadan look like for me? What does Ramadan look like in the idea within it? What does it look like within the religious community? What does it look like on Instagram and social media? And then all this like, um, like overwhelmingness, you know, Alhamdulillah, we have so many great resources out there. We have so many great webinars and all these different wonderful speaking events that are really connecting people in such a free, accessible way. But there's like this sense of like, like as if you need to like fill your day from like sunrise to sunset with all Ramadaning. You need to be Ramadaning from 24 seven all the time and, and the anxiety behind that and, and what that looks like and with such a hyper focus. I think it's such a hyper focus on making sure that you do Ramadan right because we're all in this together and, and everything like that. So then what would you say to other people that are worried that they're struggling within what these motions look like, or they have so much anxiety of like, am I going to do Ramadan right? Like, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's, it's so important for us to go into Ramadan, knowing that we're entering as a humble servant of Allah. And, and he asks us, and be God conscious as much as you can have taqwa as much as you can. So let's not let, and, and I can see how that can happen actually. You know, it's exciting that there's so many webinars, right, for Ramadan, and that there's so many to-do lists and checklists and apps and things that you could do to convert your home to a masjid and, and all kinds of things. And that can be anxiety-inducing if, if we don't kind of just take a step back and say, I'm here to fast. I'm here to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as much as I can. I'm here to, um, you know, um, uh, pray as much as I can do to the best of my ability. And to be able to, to sift through all of the stuff that's out there and say, well, alhamdulillah, those are all ideas. Those are all webinars and courses. They're, they're there for my taking if I choose to. And I think it's hard, right? I mean, I do, I, I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned all those things because I get overwhelmed sometimes. <laughs> like, I should be doing all these things, but I can't. Like I literally had a day yesterday where I just kind of had to do nothing and, and be like, this is okay. That, that's the beauty, I think, of you know, any new situation that we can definitely find um, things that we'll miss. So we'll, we'll miss the in-person experience. Wow. And again, as you said, in terms of Iman privilege, those are for the people that were privileged to feel comfortable, right? To go into these spaces. So that's not a, you know, when I, when I hear people say that, of course, they're speaking about their own feelings um, about, you know, Ramadan will never be the same because I'm not in person. I'm not being able to see all my brothers and sisters and all that. I can think of other people that are either struggling with young kids at home and they don't get that option to go or, and then of course you have those people that, you know, they, they have had a bad experience and so they don't feel comfortable going to the masjid or maybe people that have gone a couple of times and nobody said salam to them. Maybe there wasn't one incident in particular, but they don't feel that strong pull and the strong, you know, um, um, overwhelming, overwhelmingly welcome feeling. So that's not something they're necessarily losing. So the good thing is that there is always something good to find in any situation for, for whether you've, um, have been going to the message frequently or not, that we do have this access. And I think that is an opportunity, you know, Allah SWT, I feel like, uh, only we can kind of think in our mind, what, what, what is the, uh, what are the opportunities here? But I do think he's giving us this opportunity that we may never get ever again, that everybody's home. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I feel like even just like women that, you know, have been pushed out, people have been pushed out and they don't feel as comfortable and everything. And um, Imam Omar Suleiman, he posted something today and it was like, he was wearing like a, um, a sombrero, a, a New Orleans sombrero. 
And like, I I was like, I'm constantly, you know, keeping up to date with him and a couple of other scholars and, you know, seeing all the great stuff that they're posting and then sharing with other people as well. And I was like, it took me a second. And I was like, wait, but like, but this is like, but this is like Imam Omar. So like, I was so like, but he's like, he's like a religious leader, but he's wearing a sombrero. Like, how does that, I just, I didn't know what to do with that. And I love how like it's showing, like there's like a sense of uh, inaccessibility. There's an sense of inaccessibility of like, I don't want to take up space with, you know, with, with these leaders. Like I feel guilty asking things and all of that. And I also sit with those feelings too. And it's like, um, you know, with all these amazing religious leaders and teachers and scholars out there and stuff like that and seeing how with this shift that's happening, there's more spaces of vulnerability. There's more spaces of uh, a personability as well that we can connect with them beyond the um, the normal realm that we'd see them, you know, speaking at a gala event or speaking at some fundraiser that you know is, is ongoing. And so it's so amazing. And I think something that's so interesting is the um, the, the 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 shifts and how that looks like even in terms of gender lines. So when I was thinking about just, you know, people being safe and people feeling pushed out. And there are some religious spaces um, that I don't feel as comfortable going because I don't feel like the women's section is taken care of as much as the brother section. And um, I know there's like, you know, a couple of mosques where I'm going in and I'm just like, you know, looking at the, the prayer area and stuff like that. And then I'm just like, you know, like looking down at the brother section over there and I'm just like, that's really pretty. Like it's all very clean and tidy and all of that. And, you know, and then I'm over here sitting with, you know, the space that I'm in right now and, and how they're like, how it looks different, you know, and, and, and everything. It can be so frustrating to be a woman, to feel like we're, you know, othered or, or kind of like shoved to the side and everything. So how have you kind of like seen that like show up just in terms of like women feeling comfortable being in Islamic spaces or, you know, feeling, you know, seen and heard? Like, how would you kind of describe that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I've definitely even, I felt that um, in my own journey, that's, that's for sure. You know, different spaces exuding different uh, feelings. It's, it's not easy. And I just think, you know, bottom line, um, every organization that, that tries to be, you know, a masjid, right? Because, you know, there's, there's different functions for every, every space. But every organization, I think, should always include women in the planning Get, solicit women's opinions, you know, whether they're on the board and that's a natural thing that happens and there's no, you know, kind of funny business in terms of this under this approach of like, well, they really shouldn't be, you know, so they can be in leadership and they absolutely should be. So there can be representation. You know, it's interesting. It's kind of like, I'll go into my children's, you know, bedroom sometimes. And if I'm putting them to sleep and I'm looking down and from their position, I notice something I'm like, oh, there's something wrong. And I, and I did it. I would not have known had I not gotten to their level, like really, you know, um, on their bed or, or whatever it is. So, I, and not to say in any way that women are like children, I'm just saying, <laughs> put yourself in a, so if, if men, if men are typically um, exposed to the men's spaces and, and, and if it happens to be that the leadership in the masjid is all men, they have to go into the women's space. Can I hear, do I feel comfortable? Is it too hot? You know, is, is there, do we have control over the, 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 um, the AC, you know, especially being in Southern California, right? Um, and is my space as beautiful? Is the woman's space as beautiful as men's? Absolutely. Um, and that goes beyond that too. I mean, even the entrance to the building, how does that look? I, it, oh, I get these feelings of like, if it's off to like the back or the, it's just why? I understand, I understand that it's not necessarily with bad intention that sometimes 
um, women will say that they feel more comfortable. They don't want to hurdle in, you know, and like just rub elbows. <laughs> they want to have their own space. So I get it. it, it it's, it's not an easy um, solution to come to come um, up with, but at the same time, women need to be involved in the conversation and also um, women with children. Again, you know, if men get to walk in freely, sometimes, alhamdulillah, sometimes some of the brothers bring their children, but most often it'll be women. So how does that look? And do they feel welcomed? And do they have a space? So it's, it's something that has to be dealt with. Um, I also feel like there should be kind of like a welcoming committee, regardless for, for uh, new brothers and sisters that come to the message. So they don't feel like if I don't know somebody already, then I shouldn't come because I might feel left out. It, it's a big, it's a big issue. It yeah. really is. Yeah, exactly. And what that looks like. And even in terms of like what it is to be a convert and to feel comfortable in a space. And I think like just in terms of like converts and reverts, like there is even a feeling that people are like judging you and like how your prayers are going and, you know, like, you know, how, how, how you're performing with you and everything that kind of shows up there in this like extra scrutiny. And if that place isn't welcoming, it's different. So I think that's so great for you to mention having some more welcoming community or having some kind of like, um, you know, like personal connection is so important. So, you know, other massages that are out there that are listening to this or other religious spaces to just kind of be mindful of that would be so, so, so healing for so many people out there. And I think it's like, um, it's, you know, speaking of Iman privilege and, you know, and what that looks like. And it's that, that term is, is so interesting and to, to, to name that and, and to see what that is. I remember when I was um, at West Valley Masjid and um, I was, it was, it was last year, which feels like 10 years ago and everything like that. <laughs> Pre-COVID. Yes, pre-COVID. And so, and I remember I was there with, um, I was there and I was, I was, I was in, in the prayer line and everything like that. And it was um, one of the, um, the night prayers after the Qiyam. And I was just, I missed, I missed a step in my prayer. I think my brain was just in a crazy weird place and everything like that. And I missed, um, I was supposed to kneel down, but I got back up and um, in my head, I'm not thinking of it. I'm like, you know, I missed a step. It's, you know, not a big deal. And then, so I was like reassessing my, my, my prayer and doing it again. And there was a girl next to me and she also was emulating me and, um, also quickly readjusted and everything like that. And I, I wasn't thinking of it. I wasn't thinking of anything. And then later on, the sister, after, after you know, the prayer was done, she's, she was so worried. She's like, was it haram that I did that? Like, I missed something. Like, I made a mistake, but I redid the prayer. Like, is it a mistake? Like, are people going to judge me? Are people going to say something bad about me? And I was like, sister, like, what do you mean? She goes, well, I'm just new to the faith. And I was like, oh, sister, like, when did you say your shahada? And she was just like, oh, I said it yesterday. And I was like, oh, like... I didn't even realize how much shame she felt in that moment of her just not feeling safe to misstep and to, to shift in that moment, right? And for me, like, I wasn't even thinking of it. Like, for me, because I've had the healthy conversations and, you know, had the accessibility to so many wonderful teachers to, to, to see that shame is not part of Islam and, and how hard it was for her. And if I wasn't a safe person back to her, or if I showcased judgment or gave her a weird look or whatever it is that, that looked like that was interpreted in a different way, she may not come back to the mosque and feel that same safety and how right in the beginning stages of what it is to be a convert like those experiences completely change and shift how your how your journey within islam is and it has nothing to do with a failure in faith or not being strong within your faith it has to do with a safe community so i really 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 appreciate you saying that because that's so so real 
you know, these motions, these motions and these rituals that show up in terms of our journey through Islam, the rituals that show up even with Ramadan. And so I have clients that, and it's one way or the other, it's like clients that are, you know, I'm excited for this pause, like, I don't know what to do. There's so many messages. I should be doing this and this and this. Like, how do I know what to do? The anxiety showing up in different ways. And then I have the other clients that are really struggling and they're really struggling because they're so worried that they can't perform, you know, proper wudu, whatever it is that they define it as. And, you know, because of this anxiety that is showing up for them and even clients that are menstruating and there's even spottiness that's showing up for them because with their level of anxiety, their periods are all irregular. They don't feel like they're able to perform pure wudu. So then they don't feel like they're going to be able to pray and that fear and everything that they, you know, and their health and their sleep is all over the place. Maybe their diet is too much or too little. And on top of financial stress, housing stress, relationship stress, um, spiritual stress, all these different you know factors within it, plus survival once again, um, and and what that looks like. So how would you, what would you say to somebody who feels like they're worried about whether they're gonna fail at Ramadan, whether they're gonna not be successful at Ramadan? You know, the, the first thing that would come to mind is say that you can't fail. You can't fail at Ramadan because the you know just the fact that you're worried that you want to do it right, that shows an intention. And really, subhanAllah, our, you know, worship is about intention. You know, uh, dealing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is about intention. This is one of the beautiful things about Ramadan. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says that, you know, he uh, rewards good deeds anywhere between 10 and 700 uh, times, or I'm sorry, in, in hadith. And, um, but fasting is for Allah alone and he rewards for it. So nobody knows if you're fasting, right? I mean, even if you're with your whole family, like if there's like 10 people in the house, so nobody knows this is, you know, the dry mouth, the pain, the, the you know, that you may get the headaches or the hunger. It Only Allah knows it. That's the beauty. You can't mess up. You can't fail. You know, um, even if it doesn't look like other people's, but you're trying and there's something, if at sometimes, you know, whether it's your own emotions or, or something, you know, due to your uh, physical situation that prevents you, like you said, make it up. You can't fail at Ramadan. All you can do is go in with a good intention and inshallah, that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept. And it's the month of asking for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness and acceptance and only he can give it to us and he's waiting for us. He's, 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 he sends his angels down at the, at the uh, you know, last part of the night asking, who's been, who's been asking about me? Uh, so we can't fail, really, there's no way. So going into Ramadan saying, I'm going to do, do things to the best of my ability and yes, I'm not going to be able to be fasting because of my period or I just had a baby and it is confusing and I'm going to do the best that I can, um, you know, whether it's managing my emotions or my anxiety or what have you uh, and knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so merciful. So I think being able to weed all of that fear that we have sometimes because we're trying to put, you know, compare ourselves to others, whether that, that happens consciously or subconsciously or because the pressure that other people put. We're just here to be a humble servant of Allah. We're trying to fast. We're trying to pray and do our best. And that is what Allah SWT will appreciate, inshallah. Oh, that's such a beautiful, beautiful answer. I absolutely love that. And I think that's going to provide so much healing, just even, even those just a few words and everything. I think like, you know, there's layers to how parents are dealing with this. So what would you say to other parents who... They have a lot of anxiety and I mean, maybe their children came back from university and now they're staying in their house um, based off of like finances or apartments or safety or whatever so that looks like. And now like these parents that didn't celebrate Ramadan with their kids for years are now trying to figure out what that looks like. And I think celebrating 
Ramzan, when you were younger, it looks a lot different than how it is when you're older. And even just how your parents explore Ramzan versus how you do in terms of the Qiyam to the Iftars and even just like university Ramzan is so, so, so different um, versus how it is in their childhood mosque or the different kind of connection behind that. So what would you say to these parents that are worried about what it is to do with their kids? Like, what is it to do with their college-age kids or even younger ones? Um, and to just, uh, to, to keep that conversational, like what tips and suggestions would you give there? And I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, um, it's funny because just some students the other day were mentioning that to me, um, that their Ramadan on campus was much more spiritual than what they experienced back home. You know, and, and they got to taste it for the first time. And with that e extreme happiness, also comes the sadness that they're not going to experience that this year. Um, so I think it's definitely a conversation to, to be had that, that parents should recognize that, you know, your, your child has gotten used to living, a, you know, a, li a certain lifestyle um, and having that certain level of engagement that maybe they didn't, right? So to be able, you know, how would you like to do, for example, uh, number one, we do encourage, you know, families, if they're together, to pray to, you know, hopefully break the fast together. So that should be a conversation. How would you guys like to do Tarawiyah? Can we do it as a family? That would be amazing. Um, would you like to lead some reminders? Or can we, or is there, is there a, a favorite scholar or organization that you love that we can listen to as a family? I think it has to be a conversation. And that should be a parenting style, to be honest, uh, about everything, not just Ramadan, right? You, you have to engage and, and make people feel like they're part of the, the, um, the home and the decision-making process. And definitely, you know, if you're in college, inshallah, you hopefully have gained some of those skills to also be able to advocate for yourself. So well, how about we do this? You know, I really enjoyed this on campus. This is how we did an MSA. Can we try this? So hopefully that can be a, a two-way street, inshallah, two-sided conversation. Yeah. yeah, and I loved how you framed that. Um, I think there's like layers that are showing up for parents where there's like an anxiety and fear and everything that maybe they weren't as close to their faith. And now that their children are home, they feel like they need to be a little bit more conservative and a little bit more stricter about things, um, trying to kind of, you know, overdo it or overwhelm. And what we're seeing is like, you know, instead of it just being like, turn, you know, a corner in a room into a masjid and have that as a, as a prayer area. Now it's like the whole house is becoming a mosque. Like every single corner is literally turning into a mosque and the bathroom is a proper wudu station. And there is, even the kitchen is having like a buffet style area. And it's, um, there needs to be there needs to be a, a shift from that. There needs to not just be an overwhelming because it is it is not going to be the healthiest, you know, and having a break from reflection is important and not to shame them that if they want to do iftar on, you know, their phones or if they want to do it, you know, um, with their friends or take a break or they just need some time alone um, from everyone else and they may not feel as comfortable to, you know, wanting to be 24 seven around their family when they're already around them. And in this world of like, you know, zoom, everything, zoom, iftar, zoom, tea, zoom prayers, like it's just so many different layers of that and how that's, you know, showing up for what connection is looking like and how connection is shifting for them every day. And to honor that, I love that you're saying it's so conversational. And um, so then just speaking of more so, those are the parents who, you know, have the uh, 2.5 families, you know, the ideal idea of what a structure is. But what about the families who are, you know, single parent homes, that there's different layers with financial, you know, maybe they have to also be working from home and they have so many children around them. They don't have as much um, privilege to 
seek these different opportunities or to have these Instagram worthy Ramadans for their children and, and, and the shame and the fear and the, the guilt that shows up for them. Um, cause that's real as well. Single and living alone. And, um, that may not find the comfort that you were mentioning about being able to like, kind of have like a de-stress type of Ramadan and also uh, single parents. Um, I think that pressure is there also that, um, you know, I've heard in the past, uh, recently divorced women say that, you know, after our divorce, we didn't feel like we were getting invited to the iftars anymore. And we didn't feel like we were welcome. And we were quite lonely, you know, during um, Ramadan and Eid also. So I think this is an opportunity for organizations to make sure that, you know, whatever type of social Zooming is happening, that, you know, well, alhamdulillah, that's the nice thing, that it gives opportunities now for people who are kind of left out. Um, so... And, 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 and in the real time, how can we support those families that are struggling, that are single parents, that are busy, they're working, um, their children or their teenagers are not doing well, or maybe um, people and they have their parents with them, they're elderly. Um, so how can we, how can the community also help out those people and, you know, maybe drop off some food or just send some cheer or give a phone call? Um, I know people are hesitant about dropping food, but I still think that's a safe thing to do, you know, you're clean about it. Um, so anyway, I think that's something also that we should be considerate of, that there's just a lot of people that we necessarily didn't consider. Um, and, and now, like I said, everyone's in the same boat this time. And so we should be more cognizant of those people that are struggling. Yeah. And I think I love that you mentioned food because it's like, there's so much shame, like, to have to ask for food and, and, you know, with everybody, you know, coming to the mosque and stuff like that in terms of like with Iftar and, and having all these wonderful, you know, institutions like MCC East Bay, being able to have these like, you know, drive through these drive pickups and everything, but not everybody may feel comfortable to, or even have the courage um, to say, I need help with food or I need help with, you know, taking care of my family. And so I think something that, you know, if anybody is listening out here to know that you can reach out to your local masjid, your mosque community, whether you're Muslim or not, and to ask and see what that support looks like. Maybe it means that you pick the food up at a different time. If you're not as comfortable, connect with them, ask them, see what's possible for you. And I think that's, you know, that flexibility and we're all, you know, what's beautiful is that everyone's helping each other and everyone's really supporting each other, you know, Muslim or not. So I definitely encourage people to make it conversational and, and see what is possible because layers of shame and vulnerability can, um, can be suffocating at times. And I think um, it's like feelings of intense shame um, with toxic relationships. You know, there are people who may have not had the healthiest relationship with their parents. And, you know, ancestrally, when we're thinking of, you know, out of Middle Eastern, South Asian, communities in general, um, gaslighting and emotional abuse is, is normal. It's like a normal way of, of operating. And so now that they're returning back into their homes and they're dealing with that, plus all these other different layers of, you know, um, religion looking different and showing up as well as, you know, finances and everything. And now they're dealing with that and navigating that intense toxicity. And even partners that are like, I need space for my partner. I can't sit next to him 24 seven. I can't process everything for them. And, um, and, and needing me need, needing to have uh, silence, you know, and, as well as the person who's in more of a toxic relationship where they're experiencing abuse. And there's so much shame behind saying this isn't working for me, especially when we're seeing all these like Instagram worthy quarantine family oriented where they're doing all these wonderful things. Like everyday people are incredibly productive and in learning a new craft or 
you know, cooking um, olu pronto for the first time or making cupcakes out of things that like, I didn't even know were edible, but somehow alhamdulillah, it's edible and, and they're eating it and everything. And it's just like um, this Instagram worthy quarantine, this Instagram worthy family, this Instagram worthy Ramadan and how that's showing up. So how would you speak to people who are dealing with all those layers, whether it's a woman who is being verbally or emotionally abused, you know, or maybe even a brother, you know, because either side, the gender and, and how that ultimately does. And the kids, the kids that have to endure that, you know, whether that comes upon them too, or just watching that, it's so stressful. Subhanallah, that's so hard. That's, you know, um, if there were resources available to those individuals, and I know that's not easy because how can you get therapy at home if, but somehow if that's possible, because maybe if the person that is, you know, is the one that's gaslighting is busy at work, even if it's in the home, I wonder if that's an option. And I know that's not necessarily an easy option for a lot of people uh, nowadays, um, but that is definitely something to look for, towards uh, for the future and just know that our hearts are with you, you know, that that, that suffering is real and that, 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 that uncomfortability and the fact that now you're, you're restricted to home and just pour your help to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just use your, in your language and your, you know, um, our beloved prophet Yaqub, when, when his son was taken away uh, and his, his sons tricked him. And uh, he says, that, that, that verily I pour out my sadness and, and you know, my, my sadness out to you, O Allah. So that's all we can do. And, and you know, really, should we, we should be praying for all of our fellow brothers and sisters that are suffering on these so many different levels, emotionally, physically, sexually, financially, so many different ways that people are suffering. And, and, and you know, Rabbi, by you mentioning all these things, I feel like, inshallah, this, this quarantine time in Ramadan, because we're not busy with going out and, like, kind of having fun in a good way, um, I'm hoping that we're becoming more aware of all of these issues, right? That, that your Ramadan, what it used to look like, was not that for many people. And even if they came smiling to the masjid or to these iftars, dressed nicely, that there was a sadness and there was abuse at home. So I'm hoping that that makes people more aware um, and just know that, you know, no answer, no, you know, to those people suffering, no dua goes unanswered. So even though we don't get that comfort of that immediate response or somebody listening, um, uh, definitely ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for acceptance for your patience and and to be out of that situation inshallah and and to get that reward inshallah it's it's not easy it's not easy it's so 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 great that you're speaking about that because we all know brothers and sisters in our community that are not being treated the best we all know which you know members may be hurting their children or maybe too aggressive with their partners whether it's a woman or you know um being that way with their husband or a husband being that way with their wife and um we see it and i think it's you know this is the time to find ways to support and it doesn't mean going in and saying you know here's a resource for you to leave your husband but it's you know hey if you need somebody to talk to or give them something that's debriefing or whatever it is that that looks like um inviting them into whatsapp groups provide that extra release for them is so important because when it is so contained um the aggression and the frustration can escalate and i really appreciate you saying that us to just be aware of it and you know with these resources down below that if members are experiencing something a little bit more challenging and they do need to leave their um, current situation there is financial support available through 
National Domestic Violence Hotline to help you get to a safe space um, during this current state of affairs. So there are options for you. And so if you do call this number, it's safe, free, anonymous, it's not tracked or anything like that. And um, you can just ask questions. They don't need to know your name. Um, it's completely safe for you to ask a question. And that's very important to name right now. And I think like, um, we've covered so many amazing topics and you know may Allah bless you for everything you provided in this and I'm so excited to share this with other members to to realize that like the heaviness doesn't need to be there it's a process it's a journey and I love how you shared it in the beginning is it's you know the intention the intention behind every day and the intention to you know to want to fast or the intention to know and whether that means you know doing zikr if you're unable to pray or if that anxiety is too much to being able to make it up you know later on at another time of which that you do feel that um emotional comfort, that spiritual um, strength, whatever that word strength looks like and shifts depending on how you experience it every moment of every day, because you ultimately are the expert of your experience. And um, I am so excited to share this with our Uma and see what this looks like. So let's go ahead and end with um, a dua for anybody, if you're comfortable sharing, um, that may be struggling. Sure, it'll be my pleasure. You know, I just ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, um, to keep us on the straight path, to remind, to keep in our the forefront of our mind how much Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is merciful towards us and loves us. May we always never lose sight of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's love and mercy for us. Uh, may we make this Ramadan meaningful and impactful for ourselves, not worrying about anybody else, but us trying to do our best to connect to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala keep us safe, keep family safe and together, and may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Let the light of Quran shine in our hearts, inshallah, and uh, keep those that are good for us close and those that are not good for us far away. May Allah bless everybody and keep us safe, inshallah.